0: Hello, and welcome to the GSV Ventures Podcast, where we will be discussing the age of digital learning that has been kickstarted by the 1.6 billion learners forced online by the coronavirus pandemic. As the world transitions from BC before coronavirus to AD after disease, an enormous catalyst has accelerated the opportunity of the future to today. Join industry leaders, educators, government officials, entrepreneurs, and investors as we explore the AD world. This episode is a fireside chat between Michael Moe, founder of GSV, and Joe Lonsdale, general partner at 8VC, founder of Palantir, Adipar, and OpenGov, board member of Strive for College, and member of the Forbes Midas list.
1: Last week, it was uh, my real honor to interview one of the true legends of the venture capital industry, uh, Dick Kramlick. Today, um, it's am uh, really excited to have the opportunity to, to interview my friend, Joe Lonsdale, the founder of 8VC. Joe is rapidly building a career which legends are made. He was the co-founder of Palantir, one of the original unicorns, now worth billions and billions of dollars. In fact, Palantir, if anybody's been to uh, Palo Alto recently, uh, Palantir owns like 25 buildings in Palo Alto. So I say that pretty soon Palo Alto is going to switch its name to Palantir to more reflect the the, the true constitution of of Palantir, of of Palo Alto. Um, Joe... Um, is the youngest um, person to be put on Forbes' prestigious Midas list, which goes to the top venture capitalist in the world, and is the uh, founder of 8VC, which manages over $3 billion and um, is viewed as uh, certainly you know, one of the top venture capitalists, not only in Silicon Valley, but in the world. And I think in particular, Joe is a fine a person as uh investor and the the initiatives that joe and his team are involved with um outside of just purely investing is inspiring certainly to me and i think inspiring to all so welcome joe thank you for being here um thank you for having me michael if
2: you, you lost weight during this crisis you look good
1: <laughs> and it's, it's been lean times out there
2: thank you <laughs> yeah can, can i tell a quick story about dick while you have me because you just mentioned his name and he is yeah, quite sure. a legend. I was chatting with him. I actually have to mention this because he's such a great, great guy. So he had over 40% IRR during his career, right? Total legend in the industry. And I was catching up with him. And he had one of his friends from the 1980s. There was a company still running in that fund. And he went back recently and helped fix it. And 28 years later into the fund, they sent back a big distribution to their to their LPs. And a lot of these LPs were passed away. It's their kids, it's, it's institutions. But, but I thought that was the coolest thing to go back to something 28 years before after already doing very well and surprise everyone with hard work and a check. So I hope I can live up to that sort of track record in the next few decades.
1: Well, he's, he's very, very special. But uh, I, again, I think the, what you've already done in your career is remarkable. Talk about first, give me a little bit of the backstory on how Palantir began and then how you got into the venture capital business. Sure, well,
2: well I was really lucky to grow up around here in Silicon Valley and you know, learn computer science from a young age. And when I was at Stanford, I worked with PayPal, and there were obviously a lot of interesting challenges there. Uh, the Chinese and Russian mafia at the time were the biggest threats that killed off our competition. And the, at, at PayPal, we were able to figure out how to stop the bad guys and build a lot of new types of investigative technology. And while I was helping Peter build out his, his hedge fund, he was the first investor in Facebook and other companies, and I was a kid there. I, I get no personal credit for, for Facebook or for PayPal. I was just learning. But but, but what we did do is we realized that the challenges that we'd faced against the bad guys at PayPal could be kind of built more broadly to help the US and our allied countries against the bad guys after 9-11. And we we saw the United States government, frankly wasting billions of dollars very ineptly in our view. And and we realized that technology in Silicon Valley had gotten to be far ahead of what they could do. So we got together our smartest friends from the Valley and we built this mission-driven company to both protect civil liberties with a privacy engine Uh, At the same time, then allowing us to use the data the government was, you know, was putting together to help get the bad guys. And we we obviously became the kind of infrastructure for the U.S. and about 30, 40 other countries. And, you know, a lot of the people who built Palantir with me after a while, you know, a lot of them are still there. They're doing great. But a lot of them went on to build their own companies. And so I found myself advising and helping a huge number of new companies and ended up kind of becoming more of an investor that way.
1: So uh, 8 VC. talks about solving some of society's biggest problems. And I mean, I think we, we, you know, the world is broken. And I know one of the aspirations of ABC vc is to fix the world. What, what does that mean? What are some examples of that? Uh, how, how, what's your investment approach? And what are you, uh, kind of, what, what's the lens that you're kind of processing opportunities through today?
2: Well, the reason we talk about it that way is that the, the framework is that we're not really doing our jobs in the venture capital and in the entrepreneurial ecosystem if we're not thinking about how the world could work better and how we could help push the world in the direction where it really should be. And so the role of our ecosystem is we're the evolutionary part of the economy. We're the part of the economy, that dreams of the future and the dreams of what it could do better, what it should look like given what's possible today that maybe wasn't possible in our parents' generation, maybe it wasn't even possible five years ago. And so, so our, our, jo- our job is to, is to fix the world, to fix these problems, to solve these problems by creating more prosperity by, you know, by making these industries work better, by creating, enabling growth, by enabling, you know, healthcare, education, all these industries to function better.
1: So Barry from Ivy gave sort of a spoiler alert that one of your philosophies is, is Tikkun um, Olam, and I probably butchered the name, but talk about that a little bit, how that influences your philosophy about um, both AVC and your life sure well that's an important part of, of my, my jewish background i was raised
2: jewish by my mother and you know a big a big part of what this acknowledges which i think you know which is a really interesting philosophy is the world's always going to be broken to some extent we're, we're people and we're flawed and it's our job while we're part of this world to do our best to, to fix it and to help fix it and to help you know to kun means to repair the world and so there's lots of ways this can be taken it's generally taken to mean social justice which is obviously an important important thing as well uh, to me, repairing the world means taking things that are broken and that could work better and should work better and, and pushing them in that direction where they're going to be able to help more people. And so everything we're doing, we're trying to think, how is this creating value for, for others? How is this helping a downtrodden? How is this helping those in need? And that's, that's a really important thing to add in to anything you're doing on the entrepreneurial side these days.
1: So education obviously is an area that has a lot of fixing to do. And how do do you see technology really fulfilling that vision that you have of of fixing society, helping people? And how do you see technology enabling personalized learning?
2: Sure. Well, yeah, personalized is obviously a very big part of it. There's there's just so much to do in education, as all of you guys know. I think the framework to me that's most interesting is, first of all, what are the new ideas and better ways of doing things and, and how do we explore those? And then, what are the mechanisms for competition? What are the mechanisms to make sure the best ideas win? The reason education is so hard, and the reason it's so hard for us to build these businesses in relative to a lot of other areas, is because there's not always as many direct mechanisms where the best ideas automatically win. If I do a much better idea in a certain area of finance with title insurance or with mortgages, it becomes very clear to those companies they're making more money with this, they're getting higher conversions. It's clearly the better way of doing things, and I very quickly win. If I do better, if I have something better in personalized learning and I have, we have a lot of ideas there as do you. The challenge right now is the mechanisms are not necessarily set up correctly. You might argue for decades about what's better, even if something's kind of obviously better to some people, you know, you know there's a lot of special interests. It's very, very complicated. And so, you know, it, it's very clear and, and, we've, and we this is a very big opportunity right now just cause we're all getting to do this stuff from home. And so it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting disruption, as much as obviously it's, it's not a good pandemic and it's bad for our country it's an exciting disruption because it's forcing us to explore more ideas, to try more things, to get more people comfortable with, with, with what's going on. And it's very obvious the technology can help to personalize, can help to work with the teacher to, you know, to make, sure, make sure some of these mechanisms work better. I've seen four or five really interesting ideas people are pushing even right now, but the, the question all of us are going to have to answer is, what are the mechanisms to make sure the best ideas are winning? And I think that's actually the bigger entrepreneurial question on the education side, if you want to fix it.
1: Talk about, I mean, one of the, Areas where you have kind of constantly been pushing with smart enterprises and smart platforms. I mean, how do you look at that? And have you seen anything interesting in the education field where you call it a we call it a smart enterprise or at least a smart opportunity smart smart, smart enterprise opportunity platform? You know, what what kind of how do you think about that as it applies to education? Because obviously that's a thesis you applied in, in other
2: sectors. No, of course. I think the analogies, of course, to healthcare on that are very interesting. How do you, how do you get a platform in place that's solving enough problems that it's going to be adopted by the schools and it's going to be able to be used as a workflow platform for things they're doing anyway, that then, that then, that then allows you to live, deliver content in a personalized way, allows the student themselves to get to explore and, and to get to, to see what the student's interested in. Obviously, learning, we all know, only really works well when the student's interested in it, when they're passionate about it, when they're driving it themselves as much as possible. And so there's a lot of these platforms people are trying to put in right now that are the kind of content delivery platforms. And, you know, that's my bias on where this is going to come from. The people who own the content and are delivering it anyway should be the ones working with the teachers to get the teacher and student interactions that they record and to help let the student drive things forward, you know, through there. And, and so, so, there, so, so, it's, 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 We think we all know at this point, like about what personalization should look like. We know what the main themes are, and and the, the big question is, is how do you actually get in there to own the workflow? That's what smart enterprises is about is owning valuable workflows that exist anyway, and then being able to use that data to build on top of it. And you, you see a, you see a few interesting people pushing for this in the education space. I haven't. It's, it's very unclear to me what the winning platform is going to be. I'd be very curious what, what, what you think about that, but it's, it was still very early, but I, I, my bet would be on the content delivery ones if they can open it up and let the student express themselves through there.
1: Yeah, well, that'll be a fun conversation when we're able to visit your house again. <laughs>
2: I look forward to it.
1: Talk about, you You mentioned, I want to go back a little bit. You talked about uh, Peter Thiel and and work with him and you talked about Dick Kramlick and his career. Who's been your role models? I mean, you've obviously been involved in a number of, Incredibly successful technologist and, and venture capitalist. Who who do you look at for uh, you know kind of inspiration, and who who are who are some of the people that you really look up to?
2: Well, these days it's 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 interesting. Our society works; we sort of reject heroes anymore, right? All of our heroes are flawed. So, I, I, my my approach is that all of my heroes have flaws, as as I do. But you still have amazing things you can learn from people. And whether we're talking about Elon Musk or Peter Thiel or Alex Karp, uh, those are those are three people who, you know, who are, who are all just extraordinarily, um, you know, impressive in certain areas and the best in the world in certain areas. And, and in, in my life, I've had to learn both from the things people are really good at as well as from their mistakes. Uh, and, you know, th- those 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 three are amazing people, you know, and other mentors here, Scott Cook has been he's an extraordinary person to, to watch, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people like him just have such high integrity and yet have also done really, really well and treated people around them really well. So for, for me, an important important point is how could you be the best in the world, and how could you still take pleasure in the success of those around you? Really, for my father, I guess would be my main role model in that, teaching me with my little brothers, is the way to be really successful is to truly care about the success of those around you. And when people see that that's real and that's something that is who you are, you're going to go a lot farther in life.
1: Didn't, you, didn't your dad also teach you how to play like chess? Two, two two players is the is
2: that is that is the best chess coach in the nation he's he's uh won the state almost every year and he won the nationals last for the last eight years so he's a he' have a good background
1: there too and that's pretty pretty amazing so you were a original investor in oculus how do you we were, think- we were early in oculus palmer lucky is
2: crushing it now he's doing a new one too
1: yeah, well, maybe we can talk about that in a second. But talk about your view on virtual reality, augmented reality, and its role. Um one just overall, is it, has it been slower than you thought? Um, where you think it's at today? But how do you how do you see it uh, playing its way into the education area? Definitely. Well, venture capital is a funny business.
2: Uh, but that Oculus was one where Facebook, you could say, built us out in the sense that that uh, they paid a lot of money for something that was a win to us. It's not clear it's been a win economically yet. Uh, it, it made a lot of sense why Facebook was doing it. For them, it was a risk aversion type thing. If if augmented reality and virtual reality live up to their promise in the next decade, then the whole world's going to be running through some of these things. And the big companies are going to need access to those, you know, to those ecosystems. And so it made sense to me why Facebook did that as a kind of risk averse move, because Oculus had the very best talent. But we were very, very slow compared to what a lot of us expected uh, augmented reality is taking a lot longer to really work it does seem pretty obvious that augmented reality virtual reality should be huge in education in the next five or ten years you guys we could getting the price down to the point where we're almost there we're, we're getting some really i mean just imagine teaching history through these things you're going to get kids a lot more into it so I, i'm starting to see some early really neat things uh it's it's it's, it's definitely still feels like the, to really realize it's an, another decade away
1: yeah you talk about you know and back to you know, sort of the philosophy of, of 8VC and Joe Lonsdale, you talk about fixing things for society, but you also, you know, 8VC's objective is to optimize returns. How do you, yep. how do you answer to that contrast? I mean, do you see that as a contrast or a conflict or, or what, what, what's your view on that?
2: I wanna be careful here to respect that there's people of different political backgrounds who all view markets very differently. For me, I've tried building nonprofits and some have done some pretty big things in my life, but the biggest successes I've had to have a positive impact on the world is when I found a business model that worked. And what a business model means is people are willing to pay for it and the resources you put in into what they're willing to pay, you're able to get a positive outcome where it naturally scales. There, there's been a lot of philanthropies fl- I've built and it's really hard, really expensive to scale them. They're going to they're gonna need tens of millions of dollars a year. It's rare to get those going and get them off the ground. Uh, you know, similarly though, if you can build a business that funds itself, you know, with OpenGov, we started to build a business after the philanthropy couldn't scale. We now have 2,600 governments, you know, state agencies and cities using yeah. OpenGov having hugely positive impacts. That would not have scaled to that point as a philanthropy. Maybe if I was Bloomberg, I could have paid for it, you know, as a, as a philanthropy. But, the, but so, it's, it's a lot easier to have a positive impact on the world with something that has positive returns. So that's that, that's that's generally my view is they're very aligned. You do have to be careful. It's possible to make money in ways that are sketchy. But especially these days, the very top talent—they want to work on the missions that matter to the world. If you want to have something as a successful investment, it better be inspiring, because otherwise, you're not getting the best people to help you.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, amen. I couldn't agree more with that that view. You've done a number of things in philanthropy outside of A V C. One of those is Operation Mask, um and focused on the current uh, pandemic. Tell, tell everybody about that, because it's pretty remarkable what you're doing. There and I know people have approached me to connect to you because they know we're friends. Awesome. Well, that was
2: that was something that a few close friends in my network and my partners uh, actually came up with that I that I supported start, starting of March the beginning of March. It was very clear that we didn't have enough PPE, ventilators, masks, gowns, etc. And it turns out that there were you know there's logistics people we know all over the world. There's people tied to factories in Brazil and China and Vietnam and other places and. We realized that procurement officers at hospitals, they, their jobs were normally just kind of bureaucrats who just kind of went along with the process. They were not set up to go prospecting around the world and to set up deals to start producing these things. And, and uh, frankly, now there was the government, the State Department, and the White House. This is not something they'd done before. And so it, it, it turns out that the people sitting in Silicon Valley and our friends sitting in China, that had built a lot of companies, that knew how to you know, run global logistics, which is one of our specialty areas. We were able to right away spin things up and start making connections and getting things done. So, you know, at first we were helping about 30 or 40 health systems and hospitals with a group we hired and put together, mostly with volunteers, of course. And then later on, FEMA kind of coordinated with us. We helped FEMA bring in several hundred million dollars worth of supplies. And it was kind of funny for us because we'd think, you, who, are, who, are, who are we? We were kids in Silicon Valley they are doing this. I guess I'm not a kid anymore, but we're young guys in Silicon Valley doing this. And it just, it just, there wasn't anyone in the nation tied to the right places that have their ability. So we just, we just put it together.
1: I've got two questions left. Um, first is talk about Silicon Valley and, you know, the experience you've had working with other firms. I mean, some firms do an amazing job of really focusing on helping founders build their companies and work with other VCs and look at not as a competition, but really as a collaboration. Others don't. You mentioned, I know you're a fan of, Andreessen and Horwitz is an example for you think that does things right. What why do you what do you see there? And what do we what would your hope be as you see an ecosystem could evolve to really accelerate innovation and entrepreneurship? Sure. Well, you know, what's really great about Silicon
2: Valley is the positive sum dynamics. I'm I'm doing a reference call for for Harvard right now with my you know in a couple of days with my friend who built Atomic, which builds lots of companies, and my firm builds lots of companies. And, and the first instinct with a person you know, I talked to you about this and they said, That's really weird. are you guys big competitors? You both build lots of companies in Silicon Valley. And, and and actually, you know, you could think of it that way, but really we're not really we co- cooperate a lot more than we compete because there's just lots of pie being created. And the more we can help each other, the more we're gonna both win. And that's that's the great thing about having a growing pie and, and a mindset of growth. It's it's very dangerous for our country if we ever get to a point. Where we're going to put rules in place where we're going to say okay we don't want growth because that creates zero-sum mindsets and that's that's how you get everyone competing everyone trying to take from each other silicon valley with drees and horowitz is a great example you know they, they act like good players in the ecosystem they're doing their best to help uh, entrepreneurs to get back to them quickly to show respect to them What you sometimes find the bad players oftentimes hedge funds don't know how our ecosystem works and they're very zero-sum players and so sometimes they'll come in and they'll be very sketchy and they'll try to trick people and they'll try to do things for last minute when they realize they have strength, change lots of terms on people and, and to the point where they're damaging companies. And, and so so you, you, you see the good firms here are much more looking about their reputation and how to build together for the next decade, not how to try to screw, screw somebody on a near-term deal.
1: Yeah. Joe, you got the last question. You've got two young daughters what do you hope? We have, we have uh, a third coming in September too. Oh my gosh! Well, I guess I guess the yeah, I'm um, <laughs> Shelter sheltered place has been good for the family. Um, talk about what, <laughs> okay. t- what. do you hope for them in terms of the education that they can have versus maybe what you had, or what is what do you think they need to to thrive in the in the world that you know that we're entering.
2: Well, you know, Athena's three and is one and a half, and I already could tell they have very different personalities, very different interests. It's really important to me that whatever education system they're in, they're allowed to explore their interests. They should be the hero of their own journey, and they should get to say, "Here's what I'm interested in," and and they should be supported in exploring what they're interested in and what their passions are. You know, the we talked about chess earlier, Magnus Carlsen, when he, when he the great you know the greatest chess player in the world right now. When I asked him, "How do you study?" he says, "You know what I do? My teacher gives me, but you know." 80 hours a week worth of stuff, and I choose the 40 hours that I'm most interested in, and I spend 80 hours on that half of it. And 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 I that that's a general rule to me that for education and for anything you do in life, you have to focus on the parts you're interested in. You have to focus on the parts you're passionate about. So I'm really I'm really hopeful that my kids will have a system that lets them do that.
1: Joe, phenomenal. I can't I can't tell you how much I enjoyed our our conversation here and how much I look forward to actually being able to see you in person. So I look look
2: forward to it too. I hope to see you soon.
1: Thanks to the thank GSV you, thank community you so much for, for having me. No, guys, you're awesome, and, and and GSV community, thank you so much for tuning in, zooming in, and we look forward to a, a great conversation in the future um, with our with our ongoing virtual summit series. Thanks, everybody.
0: This fireside chat is brought to you by the 2020 ASU GSV Summit, September 29th through October 1st, at the Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego, California. The ASU-GSV Summit wishes to thank our sponsor partners, including Google Cloud, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and Pearson. Please visit ASUGSVSummit.com for more information.